Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Hey, I'm so glad you are here. Thanks for finding the program. This may not come as a surprise, but Hollywood has been misleading us, feeding us inaccurate information about a condition that is not as rare as you might believe. Talking about schizophrenia. One in 100 people have some form of schizophrenia. It tends to come on slowly with a gradual shift in behaviors until the patient experiences what's called a psychotic break experiencing delusional thoughts, auditory, visual hallucinations, even severe paranoia. If you're lucky, you get to a psychiatrist who can guide you to the right medications. And if you're really lucky, you get into therapy with someone like Lisa Cowley. She's a clinical psychologist in St. Paul, Minnesota, who specializes in working with schizophrenic patients. She says because of movies and TV, many of us believe schizophrenia myths. Many people believe that having a diagnosis of schizophrenia will automatically mean you're going to be violent, and that is not true at all. I have been in practice for 22 years and have never been physically threatened by a person with schizophrenia. That's good to hear. So what we see, what Hollywood has trained us about schizophrenia really isn't at all the fact, huh? Correct. There are a few movies that have accuracies, but there's so many that don't. Silence yeah. of the Lambs is a terrible example. Oh, good to know. Give me an idea of um, what is common to schizophrenics. What, what do they all sort of experience? Well, you can't say they all experience X, Y, or Z, but most of them will experience hearing voices. Some of them seeing visions or smelling or feeling things that aren't there. Many of them have delusional thinking, which is a false idea that seems very real to that person at the time, such as paranoia, or they might believe that the government has put mind control chemicals in their carpet. And to them, it absolutely feels real. And it's very terrifying. And you can't talk them out of it. They're just absolutely convinced. Yeah, I cannot talk them out of it. Wow. Okay, let's go back to hearing voices. I, what does that mean? Am I hearing, are people talking to me? Give me an idea of what that experience is. Yes, there have been some like research studies with MRIs that show that hearing voices is the exact same neurological mechanism as actually hearing a sound from outside your head into your ear. So it hmm. sounds exactly like someone is talking to you from outside yourself. And are they, are they, directing me? Are they criticizing me? What is, what's the message that I might receive? Uh, usually they're fairly mean, criticizing people, uh, criticizing the, the client a lot. Sometimes they do command them like, go, go brush your hair or move that pencil over there. Or sometimes even you, you should harm someone or harm yourself. My clients who are on medications and following their treatment plans, are generally able to resist those commands. So they it, it's just one of the coping skills we work on. I watched a video with a patient who said, uh, sometimes it's just a narration of everything that's happening around me. Okay, now there's a blue car driving down the street and he's going to turn right. 
or things yes. that I'm doing, a narration of things that I'm doing, that's that's common? That can also happen. That's, you know, more on the lines of annoying, whereas some of the voices are, are scary or just, you know, make the person feel bad. But yes, yeah, sometimes it's just a running monologue of what the person is doing. Is it ever supportive or is it always negative and threatening? In the United States, voices are rarely supportive. In other countries where mental illness is viewed differently, sometimes voices are supportive. We, uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but I, it seems maybe because there's such a stigma here against mental illness. Whereas in some countries, like third world countries, people are used to illness being more real and not necessarily being able to be completely cured. So it's just like, well, yeah, it's your grandfather telling you what to do and he's got good advice. Huh, that's fascinating. I had no idea. Tell me about mm -hmm. the uh, visions, visual hallucinations. What, what, what can those be? It could be a wide variety of things. It can be seeing, seeing flashing lights. It can be seeing things out of the corner of your eye, seeing shadows. It can be actually seeing like figures like a demon or a person. Hmm. Um, yeah, it varies widely. If the person is not on medications, they t it, they tend to be very, very frequent. If the person is on antipsychotic medications, they tend to be less frequent and less intense. Most people that take antipsychotic medications do not, the medications do not completely eliminate their symptoms, but they make the symptoms, like I said, less frequent, less intense, and easier to manage. They also I help people understand that they have a disorder. Okay, good. So some grasp on reality has returned at least. Yeah, okay. Do we know why this is happening? Is there something organically different in the brain? Well, they know that there are some differences in like the structures of the brain. Like the, they have these little vesicles that are bigger in people with schizophrenia. They know there's some roles in neurochemistry. So that's why medications work. They also, there's also some evidence that an injury to the brain in utero or as a very young child can increase the risk of schizophrenia. Plus, it's also genetic. It tends to run in families, but it doesn't always. Uh, and no cure, right? There's nothing that's going to fix this problem permanently? No, I like to think of it like type 1 or juvenile diabetes. If you take your medicine and you follow your treatment plan, life can be pretty good. If you don't, life will go downhill quickly. Yeah, I was going to ask, give me an idea of what it, what life is like for somebody who is successfully medicated and, and has had successful therapy. So they would have, they, the vast majority of people, even on medications who are stable, do not work full time. The illness just does not allow them. The stress is too much and it makes their symptoms come back or get worse. Many of them work part time. Many of them, you know, are somewhat isolated, but have a few friends they do things that anybody else would do, you know, like, oh, I love making lattes. You know, I want to go on a hike or watch the football mm -hmm. game. But their lives tend to be a little bit smaller because they have less like that spoons theory about endurance for stressors. They have less of that. They can't handle three activities in one day. It's too much. So they're so they just have less going on in their lives and that's easier for them. Got it. And so they they're they are capable of living alone independently or do many people wind up in a supervised setting? I would say it's about half and half. Some live independently, some live in a group home or adult foster care or something like that.
Is there um, any relationship to a family structure? Um, is is violence in the family more likely? Is is sexual abuse an issue? What, what? Give me some idea of how those, whether whether something conditionally about the way that child was raised has any influence. There has not been evidence showing that parenting styles can cause schizophrenia. If you have a genetic loading for schizophrenia and you have a very stressful experience, especially in teens, it can bring it out, but it was probably already going to be coming out at some point anyway. But abuse does not cause schizophrenia. Trauma does not cause schizophrenia. It's more about the genetics and the, you know, the, the viral thing in utero and that kind of thing. The Mayo Clinic says people with schizophrenia often don't understand that the difficulties and struggles caused by their odd behavior is the result of a mental disorder. It's not because they themselves are broken. And so it falls to family and friends to get help. Clinical psychologist Lisa Cowley has put together a list of resources for families who are touched by schizophrenia, and you'll find a link to that in the show notes, also on the Health Call Facebook page. And just ahead, we continue our look at schizophrenia, exploring early warning signs, what happens in a schizophrenia therapy session, and why she says people with this awful disorder are her favorite patients. There's just something about them you might not know. That's ahead here on the Health Call Radio Hour on WoWo. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back to a fascinating look at the lives of people suffering schizophrenia. Once it comes on, this condition is likely to be with you for life. Many patients qualify for disability, but may still work a part-time job. Antipsychotic drugs can minimize symptoms, and with an effective support system, life can be fairly normal. Some of these folks are highly intelligent and very successful, but that's unusual. Clinical psychologist Lisa Cowley has spent more than 20 years working with these folks, people who can't trust what their brain sees, their ears hear, and what their mind believes is real. Maybe you're like me. When you see a person on the street who is alone but having an argument with an invisible character, do you assume it's schizophrenia? I do. Lisa says that poor soul could be among the many struggling through life in an emotional war zone. The person that you see on the street talking to their voices is likely unmedicated. They may be intoxicated. A lot of people who are unmedicated tend to hide. They don't, the world is scary for them. Their symptoms are scary for them. They'd rather sit at home in their room with the blinds drawn. Can someone with schizophrenia be on the streets talking to voices? Yes, but it's not common. And then when they're stable and on meds, they, you know, we talk in my groups about like, you're allowed to talk to your voices, but there will be social consequences. And if you don't want people being really uncomfortable around you, you might want to try not to do that. 
Oh, tell me more about that. So talk to your voices. I encourage them not to talk to their voices in public in just public. because of the social consequences. But if it makes them feel better to talk to their voices when they're at home alone, there's no harm being done. Okay. So is that a strategy to talk to the voice and say, I know you're not real or I don't want to hear that right now or some other coping mechanism? Yes, for some people that will diminish their voices. For some people, it will make it worse. So people have to experiment with the coping skills that work best with their illness. Patients, you said, are, are typically not violent. I have read that more often than not, these folks are the victims of violence and are being taken advantage of. Absolutely. Number one, sometimes they have a demeanor of someone who's not very assertive. And so, you know, Criminals or that kind of person will zone in on their vulnerability. Also, many people with schizophrenia are very generous and have big hearts and get taken advantage that way. Wow. So tell me about those delusions. What makes them so convincing and difficult for the patient to overcome? It's, you know, it's hard to really understand. It's almost as if I tried to convince you right now that you're not wearing glasses because you clearly are. Like you, it's not even possible to think that's not happening. Hmm. So to them, somehow this belief is 100% true, even if it's impossible. I had clients think they're 900 years old. I had clients think they're Jesus. And they absolutely believe it. And talking them out of it is not. We work around that symptom. Like that sounds stressful. Let's deal with your stress. I don't try to convince them otherwise. Okay, good. So I understand onset is different in men and women, and the symptoms seem to show up in men in late teens. What are those first symptoms going to be? What do I look for? Well, it's a little difficult because the very early symptoms are often the symptoms of a teenager. Withdrawal, isolation, not trusting people. Well, you know what? There's a lot of 16 and 17 year olds who do that, who don't end up Absolutely. with schizophrenia. Right. You know, and then but then it starts to be that the, the paranoid thinking and the not wanting to go to school and the shutting themselves up in their rooms all day, even more than normal teenagers or difficulty with hygiene, which most teenagers, once they get an interest in, you know, boys or other boys or girls or whatever, mm -hmm. they're starting to get into showering. But if someone's really struggling with hygiene, that's usually something to do with mental health or like being on street drugs or something. Why is hygiene a challenge? Their brain is so preoccupied with these voices screaming at them and this, this terrifying belief that people are trying to kill them. Like if you go to a war zone, hygiene is low priority. Yeah. Okay. And these people are kind of in an internal war zone and hygiene, like if, you, if you're trying not to be murdered and the voices are screaming at you to do this, it's hard to be like, you know, a shower sounds good right now. You know, Lisa, that's a powerful thought that I'm living in a war zone. My my in my mind, my brain, my existence, I'm living in a an internal war zone. That's that's really disturbing. I feel sorry for these folks. What about what about women and their experience? Is it different than men? Women do tend to get later than men. They mm -hmm. think there may be a protective aspect of estrogen, but the difference being some women have more time to develop social skills and independent living skills. If you're hit with schizophrenia when you're 15, there's a few years of not a lot of emotional growth because you're so busy dealing with the illness. But if you're hit when you're 25, you've got extra time that you've learned more about being an adult and, and 
social relationships and that kind of thing. Medications can, as you just told us, make life fairly manageable, sometimes very manageable. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm reading that finding the right combination of drugs is extremely difficult. Tell me what you've seen in that area. It is difficult because we just recently have gotten like genetic testing has started to where you can get a genetic test done and they can tell you which medications your metabolism fits with. But even that's not always covered by insurance. So in which case the psychiatrist just has to try them on a medication and see if it helps, if the side effects are tolerable. And often you have to go through two or three different medication rounds to figure out what's going to be the most helpful and the most tolerable. Tell me about the, the therapy that you offer. What is that like? What are you working with on, in those individual or group sessions? Well, because I work in an outpatient clinic, most of my clients are taking their meds and are reasonably stable. We talk a lot about noticing when your symptoms are happening and how to cope with them. People with schizophrenia have the same problems that you and I have. They have depression. They have relationship problems. They struggle with assertiveness. We go through all sorts of skills that they may have missed when they're ill or, you know, ideas that they, you know, about relationships and dating that they may not know about. So it's, it's a lot of skills building. Believe me with a positive outlook here, something there's, there has to be a, a smile in this somewhere. Where might that be? Well, once a person gets stabilized and really committed to taking their meds and having a recovery environment, they're lovely people. They're creative. They're gentle souls. Unlike the stereotype, they don't like conflict. They're sweet. They just, they support each other. It's just so different from the stereotype. So how has, how has specializing in treating schizophrenia changed you? That's a really good question. I have never thought about that. Uh, I guess I'm definitely a lot more compassionate about mental illness in general and that you don't always have any sort of a choice. You just have to deal with what you are given. A lot of upper class, especially white people, are used to throwing money and education at a problem to make it go away. Mm -hmm. That's not available for this disorder. Like you can learn to manage, you can learn to cope, but you can't just decide it's going to go away. Oh, wow. That hit me as a pretty humbling, even frightening thought. If someone you know or love is showing early warning signs of what might be schizophrenia, Lisa suggests the local chapter of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. You'll find them online at nami.org. Well, that is all the time we have together this week. My thanks go out to everyone who has reached me via email. You know, I read every message and I always send a personal reply. So thanks for that. We'll see you again next week for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour. You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts, or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour.
podcast by Federated Media.